the United States is going to continue to be focused, the center of gravity for U.S. foreign policy on the Asia-Pacific, the Indo-Pacific region. Indo-Pacific Diplomacy on Tour. It's Monday, February 14th. This is VOA Asia. I'm Jim Stevenson in Washington. Join us online. You'll find us at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, bracing for violence in Ukraine. Afghan money moves. Helping Afghan refugees rebuild lives. A special space selfie. A super sports spectacle. It's all on today's VOA Asia. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken stopped in Australia late last week for talks on security and fighting COVID-19. But the massing of Russian troops along Ukraine's border has also cast a spotlight on the growing partnership between China and Russia. VOA senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sane reports. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, like other top U.S. diplomats before him, has said the U.S. wants to shift its foreign policy focus to Asia and the Indo-Pacific region. Experts say his visit to Australia and Fiji at this crisis moment sends a strong signal. Well, I mean, it says a lot that Secretary Blinken is in Melbourne, Australia, meeting with Japanese, Indian and Australian counterparts when you have a crisis brewing in, in Eastern Europe. And I think one of the big points here is that the United States is going to continue to be focused primarily as the primary you know, center of gravity for U.S. foreign policy on the Asia-Pacific, the Indo-Pacific region, even when there are crises that might drag us away uh, some of our time and attention from, from time to time. Experts say a joint initiative to fight COVID-19 topped the agenda. This is something that the four sides have been working on uh, for quite some time, which essentially entails India producing COVID vaccines, the U.S. and Japan paying for them, and Australia helping with the logistics to ensure that they're distributed throughout Asia. And this this initiative, like everything else with the Quad, is meant to counter China. It's meant to push back against China's own vaccine production, distribution, and vaccine diplomacy in the Indo-Pacific region. Chinese President Xi Jinping welcomed Russian President Vladimir Putin to Beijing, hours before the opening of the Beijing Winter Olympics. Both leaders criticized what they called negative U.S. influence, both in Europe and in the Indo-Pacific, and analysts took notice. China is probably, at this point in time, Russia's most dependable and trusted ally in the sense that if Russia were to actually invade Ukraine and if it were to go to war in Ukraine, uh, you know, it would look to China to help it out, particularly in terms of providing economic support, given all of the sanctions that would come out against Russia. On the other side of the world, Russia's massive joint military drills with Belarus are further heightening tensions. Here's Russia's Defense Ministry footage of heavy Russian missile systems, tanks and guns. Blinken continued his diplomatic push to deter a Russian invasion while traveling, speaking with French and NATO leaders. Cindy Sane, VOA News. At the Beijing Olympics, heading into competition today, Norway leads the medals table with nine gold medals, five silver and seven bronze for a games-leading 21 overall medals. Germany follows with eight gold, five silver and one bronze. The United States has moved to third place with six gold, five silver and a bronze. Host China sits at number eight. 
having collected four gold, three silver, and two bronze. U.S. speed skater Aaron Jackson won the gold in the women's 500-meter race after almost missing the Olympics because of a slip in U.S. qualifiers. The 29-year-old world number one is the first American to win since Bonnie Blair did so at the 1994 Winter Games. She is also the first black woman to win an Olympic gold medal in speed skating. Heavy snow and poor weather conditions forced several events to be postponed, including the women's slope-style qualifying, which was moved from Sunday to Monday. And everyone is waiting for news from a hearing regarding Camila Valieva's positive drug test. The 15-year-old Russian figure skater failed a test taken in December ahead of the Beijing Olympics. Follow all of the latest Olympic news with us at voanews.com. These are among some of the top Asia headlines you'll find right now when you visit voanews.com. The United States, Japan, and South Korea meet in Hawaii to discuss North Korea and Ukraine. Australia evacuates embassy in Kyiv, urges China to speak up for Ukraine. The United States aims to counter China by opening Solomon Islands embassy. United Nations increases aid in Myanmar as more displaced by coup's consequences. Politics of Grandeur, Two Olympics and China's Love of Big. You'll find expanded coverage of all these stories and much more by joining us online. Visit us at Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram and Twitter, and voanews.com. We continue with VOA Asia. President Joe Biden is urging U.S. citizens to leave Ukraine immediately, as tensions with Russia over its military buildup on the border continue to intensify. The U.S. Embassy in Kyiv has already been urging citizens to consider leaving. Some American expats are heeding the advice, others are not. Oksana Litsova spoke to some Americans in Kyiv about their plans. Anna Rice narrates her story. John Yuke, who runs a California startup, came to Ukraine a few years ago to look for IT specialists and never returned home. But with Russian troops massing near the Ukrainian border, Yuki's friends and relatives in the U.S. are worried. They keep messaging him to come home as soon as he can. But Yuki says he loves it in Kiev and feels the threat posed by Russian leader Vladimir Putin is exaggerated. I think that it's unlikely that Putin will invade, or even if he did, I think the Ukrainians would be able to resist because there's so many people here and they're very patriotic. Yuki adds that all his local American friends have made the same decision to stay and are not too worried. I don't think he's going to be like bombing cities and killing civilians because Ukraine didn't do anything against him and that would just be a disaster. So like, I feel like the, the worst thing that would probably happen to me is just like losing internet for a little bit. But not everyone agrees. Joel Wasserman has been living in Kiev for a few years teaching English. But the latest news made him decide to move to the West, to Lviv, to wait everything out. Uh, bombs falling around me or artillery shells or rockets, I'd like to stay away from that. And so, um, I mean, I'm not concerned about it happening any day now, but I wanted to... I wanted to make my move fairly early because that would make it easier. It would mean I could take more of my stuff. It meant I could take my cat. It, w it meant that I could 
uh, be confident that I would have a place waiting for me here in Lviv. Former U.S. Army medic David Plaster has been living in Ukraine for the last decade. He often travels to the Donbass region as a volunteer to teach tactical emergency medicine to soldiers. If Russia invades, Plaster says he won't leave and instead has joined Ukraine's territorial defense forces to protect Kyiv if he needs to, together with the city's residents. I'm not running from my home. I live here. Yes, some of us have American, British, European passports. We can live and go to other places. But why? We should stay where we live and show Putin and the whole world we are not afraid. Many other expats here in Kyiv share Plaster's views. Citizens of the US, Canada, Britain and Northern Ireland, Denmark and Germany recently took part in an international solidarity march to express support for Ukraine in the face of Russia's aggression. I've seen some embassies have given uh, travel warnings and uh, some embassies have decided to remove uh, non-essential staff or family members, but, but this is my home. This is, this is where I live. I'm not going anywhere. We're here to stay. We're here to stay. Um, we have businesses here. We have family here. We're not going anywhere. For Oksana Lihostova in Kiev, NRI's VOA News. Stay with us on VOA Asia as we hear about big money moving in Afghanistan. Happening now in Asia, Thai authorities scramble to contain a second oil spill in less than three weeks in the Gulf of Thailand after an estimated 26,000 liters leaked 20 kilometers off the eastern province of Rayong, in the same location where more than four times more spilled into the sea January 25th. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. We're happy to start off the week with you on VOA Asia. The Taliban and families of 9-11 victims are condemning the Biden administration's move to split $7 billion in frozen assets from Afghanistan's central bank and reserve half the amount while U.S. courts consider claims for compensation by families of victims of the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. Chief White House correspondent Patsy Whitaker-Swara has our report. Desperate Afghans queue for free bread as the country's humanitarian crisis worsened since the Taliban takeover in August, when Western countries froze international aid and access to assets held abroad. Our situation has been bad like this for almost one or two years. Before this, I used to find some bread and water. On Friday, U.S. President Joe Biden signed an executive order allowing half of the $7 billion in frozen assets from Afghanistan's central bank to be set aside in a trust fund slated for humanitarian assistance in the country. The rest, $3.5 billion, is held back while U.S. courts consider claims for financial compensation by families of the 9-11 victims. The Taliban, which was in control of Afghanistan at the time of the 2001 attacks, refused to hand over Osama bin Laden, the attack's mastermind. A senior administration official told VOA that a judge had ordered those funds frozen in place so the claimants could have their case heard. These are the reserves of the Afghan people. Uh, they're not the reserves of the Taliban. And so freezing them and starting to divvy them up based on our own internal calculations, I think sends the wrong message to the people of Afghanistan about what role the United States is playing in terms of responding to the humanitarian and really to the economic crisis that they're experiencing. 
The Taliban also criticized the move. Spokesperson Mohammad Naim tweeted that stealing the Afghan people's money that was frozen by the United States is the lowest a country could stoop to morally and humanly. The Taliban have taken Afghanistan by force and have no right to speak about morality, said Hussein Haqqani, director of South and Central Asia at the Hudson Institute via Skype. They are trying to get money to which they have no rightful claim anyway. This money was accumulated under the Afghan Republic, which the Taliban constantly fought. The Taliban never liked the idea of international assistance coming to Afghanistan under the Republic. So it is rather ingenuous of them to try and now say that, hey, this is the money of the Afghan people. Many 9-11 families support distributing the frozen assets to help the Afghan people, said Brett Eagleson, son of a 9-11 victim. But he said leaving the distribution of the fund for 9-11 to the court will force the families to fight another that is wrong, unfair and unjust. It is still unclear how the Biden administration plans to distribute the $3.5 billion for humanitarian needs in Afghanistan. Patsy Widakuswara, VOA News at the White House. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook and say hello online or on your smartphone. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, and read and share all of the latest from VOA Asia anytime. VOA Asia is your trusted source for news and great features. This news from VOA Asia. A Myanmar army officer who defected and fled the country detailed battlefield losses sustained by rebels in the southern part of Chin State to the Reuters news agency showing at least 50 soldiers killed, 200 badly wounded in 2021 by opposition fighters with homemade weapons. You'll find this and all the stories through the day on VOA Asia Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. As we continue with VOA Asia, U.S. businesses and Asian Americans are stepping up to help Afghan refugees adjust to life in the United States with technology training and tools. One resettlement effort that began in a military base in Indiana has spread throughout the United States. Fieway's Jessica Stone has the story. A local infrastructure company is stepping in to help the Afghan refugees that are here in Indiana as we speak. By the time Rupal Tanawala appeared in this local news report in September, she had cut her work hours in half to spend four months making sure Afghan refugees at the resettlement camp outside Indianapolis had something she did not have when she immigrated to the U.S., technology. I come from um, India where I did not have access to technology. Being an immigrant, I knew what journey it is. Not able to speak English and not able to learn fast enough. Like in the current time, I know you you need a laptop to apply for a job, build a resume, look for a house, apply for all the benefits. This time, the refugees are receiving technology thanks to donations from Amazon, the Asian American Alliance, and the Society for Information Management. An Indianapolis-based infrastructure company called IEA donated hardware and the labor to create a computer lab for the Afghan families at Camp Atterbury. Sona Rahmani, a refugee herself, was teaching children English when the laptops arrived in the classroom. Not a lot of kids in Afghanistan have laptops or iPads. They don't even know how to use them. That's why when they saw the laptops for the first time, they were really excited. They have joy and they're interested. 
Rupal can't forget the face of a 10-year-old girl she calls Salma. It was a her first opportunity to even sit in a classroom and then to learn with a laptop. Like she was in tears. Other military bases in the U.S. have replicated Rupal's project at Camp Atterbury. The majority of them uh, immediately responded, said, here is our um, non-government organization uh, who is taking uh, charitable donations. Uh, we would love for them to work with her um, so that uh, we can do something similar to what you uh, established at Camp Atterbury. In all, 500 used laptops and tablets obtained through Rubel's efforts were distributed across eight military bases. The program is winding down now and operating at just three bases. Rubel's next challenge? Making sure each family among the 54,000 who immigrated transitioned to life in America with that donated technology. After all, she says, many of them gave our troops something they needed in Afghanistan. If not for this uh, Afghan guest, like who would have been our interpreter? Who would have supported all the uh, supplies that they needed? Welcoming the Afghans is personal for Rupal. Her son is a cadet at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Another chapter in the American story. Immigrants raising the next generation to defend and care for their new country. Jessica Stone, VOA News, Washington. Making headlines in Asia, Japan reconfirmed its commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific region in the face of a fluid international situation during a meeting in Australia of regional foreign ministers created to counter China's influence. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. Now on VOA Asia, NASA captures a first-ever photo op from our solar system. Starlink suffers a storm-caused setback, and a dusty piece of space history gets the spa treatment. VOA's Arash Arabasadi brings us news from space. Lift off, Starlink 47. Bad news for Starlink, the global broadband subsidiary of private spaceflight company SpaceX. The company reports losing as many as 40 of the 49 recently deployed internet delivery satellites after a solar storm sent them tumbling out of orbit. This video appearing to show the satellites re-entering the atmosphere was captured by the Caribbean Astronomy Society in Puerto Rico. SpaceX says a geomagnetic storm late last week thickened the atmosphere, which increased drag on the satellites and ultimately led to their doom. Ground teams tried to control the satellite's descent, but the pull was too great. The company says the falling satellites pose no threat to Earthlings. In other news, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 16 mission, the fifth mission to land astronauts on the moon and bring them back to Earth. Apollo 16 was the second mission carrying a lunar rover, and astronauts collected samples, snapped some photos, and conducted first-of-their-kind experiments using an ultraviolet camera on the moon. Today, the Apollo 16 capsule that carried three astronauts half a century ago rests at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Delayed by the pandemic, the capsule now gets a long-awaited cleaning. This is a piece of history that human beings should be able to enjoy millennia from now, not just in the next few decades or centuries, but uh, it should be kept and preserved because it represents uh, one of the greatest triumphs of the space program of the planet Earth. Considering its age, those working on the project say the capsule is in pretty good shape. 
Impressive, considering it didn't always live in a glass case and museum visitors could walk up and touch it. The case is not completely hermetically sealed, which is actually an important thing. You don't want to completely seal it off and have no air circulation. Um, and so we do occasionally get insects and fluff and those sorts of things in there. Um, sometimes some foreign debris you know, makes it in there by people trying to do things. Foreign debris like business cards, pencils, money, spoons, and even a tube of lip balm. Workers delicately using various cleaning methods plan to have the spacecraft looking its best by the 50th anniversary of its April 16, 1972 flight. Finally, NASA's Parker Solar Probe captured the first visible light images of Earth's inhospitable neighbor, Venus. The images turned into this video reveal features like continental regions, plains, and plateaus, along with a halo of oxygen surrounding the planet. Parker's Wide Field Imager, or Whisper, caught the images in a pair of flybys observing the same visible spectrum our eyes can see. Scientists say learning about Venus can help them understand how Earth supports life and why Venus does not. Arash Arbasadi, VOA News. Americans are getting ready for the Super Bowl, just about ready to kick off. It's the final season matchup of the U.S. National Football League, and it's become a national celebration. Mike O'Sullivan reports from Los Angeles, where the Los Angeles Rams are facing the Cincinnati Bengals in a game that is both a sports event and entertainment gala. The teams are warming up. And SoFi Stadium, which opened just a year and a half ago in the Inglewood neighborhood, will welcome 70,000 fans of American football. Officials say spectators must meet COVID vaccination and testing requirements and wear masks. Outdoor venues are getting ready for Super Bowl parties, also with tight restrictions. Tens of millions will be watching from home on television. A sports expert at a nearby university says whether people are sports fans or not, they are waiting for the Super Bowl. In the United States, it's uh, practically a national holiday. It's just become a great celebration, not just of football, but now of entertainment. Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar will perform during the game's halftime show. But that is not all that people wait for. Besides the game, which you might not care at all about the teams involved, um, but you care a lot about the commercials. Creative ads that rival Hollywood productions, says an advertising expert. Super Bowl Sunday to the advertising industry is like Oscar night is to the movie industry. It's the biggest night of the year. We actually see the best commercials from the advertising industry on Super Bowl Sunday. And the most expensive, airing on the most viewed program on American television. This year, the cost for 30 seconds of airtime in the Super Bowl can cost as much as $7 million. These commercials, including production and broadcast fees, can cost more than some full-length movies. If you own the two-minute break, easily with the production, you're topping $25 million. There are also millions of dollars to be made in merchandising, keeping customs agents busy weeding out counterfeits. For fans, it's a celebration, together with family and friends, and for those who can buy tickets costing thousands of dollars watching the game in the stadium. 
Hosting the Super Bowl is important for Los Angeles, says a sports legend who grew up in the area. It's so big for the community. It's so big for everything. And obviously with the L.A. Rams in it, it's just like, how does this happen? The Rams last played in the Super Bowl in 2019 when they lost to the New England Patriots in a game in Atlanta. The Bengals have not made it to a Super Bowl since the 1980s, but the drama on the football field is just part of the attraction Super Bowl Sunday. Mike O'Sullivan, VOA News, Los Angeles. No matter the outcome of the Super Bowl, you're the winner for joining us today on VOA Asia. Continue online. You'll find us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We thank our team, Service Chief Diane Gao, Keith Lane, Chris Kiskejo, and Jessica Stone. I'm Jim Stevenson. We're in Washington. We hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Be safe. Be well.